Hello guys and welcome to the Concept Boxing Podcast. I'm Lukash as always. A bit late with this one and my apologies and it's not going to be the longest episode I've ever done. Um, I've just had, I've had shit going on so uh, I've been late to watch the fights and I've only watched two fights off the card of the weekend. Um, the, you know, Javonta Davis and uh, the Jerome Ennis one because Jerome Ennis one because I want to I want to talk about you know I'm a fan of uh, Ennis and I want to talk about him and Javonta Davis I'm not particularly a fan of but I did want to talk about him and there are some things in this fight to, to mention so I'll talk about them um, yeah before I start um, I did do a roundup of the year um, with uh, Iggy a couple of weeks ago and um, quite a few of you did seem to watch that but um, listen to her but if you haven't you know why not um I did mention in that several times that uh, a piece is coming around up of the year that also hasn't happened yet. Um, I'm trying to get it, you know. It's, I'm aiming to get it out this weekend, but I can't promise that right now. Um, but I'm going to give it a go. Other than that, normal, normal service should be resumed, you know, in the next week or so when the real fights start. Um, you know, the fights I'm really interested in start, let's put it that way. Um, but yeah, okay, that out of the way. Let's get started with the the car with the um, with the weekend fights of the weekend. Um, you know, let's get started with Tank Davis, who's fighting Hector Luis Garcia, and it's you know it's a, this is a tune-up fight for his supposed fight with Ryan Garcia in spring, and you know it wasn't meant to be a full-on challenge, and it was pretty much exactly what you'd expect from a tune-up fight for a bigger fight. You know, Garcia does some things well. He's got a good jab. He he, you know, he's a, he he throws shots well. He's he's a good fighter. He can kind of fight in both directions, which is a decent, complete fighter. Not on the level that Tank Davis needs to be tested, like really tested, but does enough to you know keep him warm, let's say. And uh, you know, on that basis, it would seem there's not a lot to say. Tank started kind of slowly. Um, Garcia looked good for you know he he looked he was getting stuff done, but never looked in any serious danger of winning or any serious danger of hurting hurting Davis. And then, uh, you know, Tank um, ramped up the pressure a little bit as the fight went on. And then around eight, he hit Garcia so hard, he lost his eyesight for a few minutes. And the fight was over. <laughs> so that's, you know, that's the bare bones of the thing. Um, and, you know, it, might, it would seem, you know, there's not that much to say about that fight itself. But when you're talking about prep for Garcia... You know, you can look at a fight and say, you know, for Ryan Garcia, uh, there are things about that that were good and things about that that were bad. I think it's fair to note, and anyone who follows me on Twitter regularly or sees me talking about boxing, that, you know, you know I'm not a huge fan of um, Tank Davis, and, you know, that's setting aside all his uh, personal bullshit of him, you know, apparently being a woman beater. Um, well, we've seen him hit. We've seen him strangling his girlfriend on camera, so even, you know, this not stuff about uh, what happened a couple of weeks ago. What is it? Did it really happen? Did it not really happen? You know, we know he's not a, <laughs> not a fully most chivalrous man in the world, but even before all that stuff started came, coming out, you know, I'm just not a fan of him as a boxer. But he is good. He's better than I often give him credit for. And, you know, I do have to acknowledge that. And I, I do want to point out that in this fight, there were a couple of things that I did think he did better than I've seen him do before. And uh, the main, the, you know, the main thing on that is the way he was pressing. I don't think he's, you know, he's never going to be Gennady Golovkin or, you know, Errol Spence or any really aggressive attacking fighter. He doesn't, he's never going to be a guy who closes distance really well. 
but I think he improved on that quite a lot on well I think he's been working on improving on that quite a lot to what I've seen him from him in the past because my concern with him in the past has been that he does tend to leap in with his shots and he really powers up his shots and you know anime style just hurls everything into it and um, he's gotten away with it thus far um, but he hasn't had the strongest opposition and I think you know in this fight I did see him just being more patient basically it was more pushing uh pushing Garcia back a little bit, just stepping in, stepping in, waiting for him to throw something and then coming on behind that. And yeah, that's kind of to an extent what he's always done. But um but there was less leaping in this time. He tried to get closer before he threw. Um he tried to um work past the jab, but that was one thing I did re- I did actually like, I was impressed with. Um in the first couple of rounds, Garcia's jab was pretty effective. He landed a he landed it fairly regularly and even when he didn't he was um discomforting um, tank with it I would say but after a couple of rounds um, Garcia diffused that jab basically completely like after that the jab didn't really have there wasn't much to it and Garcia was just working off his opponent's jab which is a really good thing to be able to do to be able to use your opponent's jab to to get to them you know it's, it's something I've always prayed um, not always but for a long while uh, praised Canelo for and so I don't think tank is ever going to be Canelo level of skill but um but it was a good thing to see him do, and it's something that I want to stand him in extend against Garcia. This idea of yeah, just basically being a bit more patient, not throwing uh not throwing the hard shots um from way far out and trying to set his shots up. Um, you know, basically there was more depth to his attacking performance. Um and he was more conscious of his defence while attacking, because that's what's been my biggest criticism of him. Um is that when he lets his shots go, he kind of lets his chin hang out in the air and do it. You know, he's got a good defense when he's defending, for the most part. He's got a good defense when he's defending. He's hard to press, and when you do try to press him, he'll counter the fuck out of you, and he hits really fucking hard, and he's, you know, his shots are really fucking hard to see. He's a dangerous guy to attack, but if you can lure him into being, into trying to counter him, you know, no one's been able to do it to him so far, but, um, but to me, he does leave his chin in the air. He does leave himself open. And he still does that too. You know, even in this fight, that was happening. But there was, I think, less of it. And it's definitely something... If he's fighting Ryan Garcia, who is, uh, you know, <laughs> much bigger than him, I don't think people are giving as much credit to how, you know, to the size difference there. Um, I'll get to, get onto that after the fight, really. That exactly how I think that will... I mean, I'm not going to... I'm not going to dig out the whole fight and do the preview because I'll do that when, when the fight... It's confirmed, but um, but yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, there were positives there for Tank. There were good things that Tank was doing. Um, that he's improving and learning, and that's good to see because there have been times when I've been thinking like, I just you know, from fight to fight, Tank hasn't uh, he hasn't um learned at all. And in this fight, there was you know, just set up shots and working. You know, even things like landing one power shot downstairs and throwing another one upstairs. It's pretty basic stuff, and it's not. I wouldn't say that you know. It would be silly of me to say that he's never done that before. Very clearly he has. But I do feel like he's been working on improving that, on chaining that to things together. Not throwing short combinations. Um, yeah, there are things that he's still improving on. Um, you know, it, seems, it seems wild because uh, for how long he's been around. Um, but he isn't old. So, he, you know, he's still got time to improve and uh, 
you know, he's 28. So, you know, he's kind of getting to that age where the improvements are kind of coming to an end and he's the fighter who will be, but he's still in that, um, you know, still in that mode. There's still things coming through in his game and all of that stuff. And yeah, so there were a couple of things that I, I liked and I felt I should say that, but, but I am also going to be critical. And the main thing, there were less, you know, like I said, there were less things for me to be critical about. This may make me sound like a hater because I'm talking about a fight where he won comfortably and by knockout, by hitting a guy so hard he lost his sight, like I said. But um, the main thing of concern is this. As he was closing that distance, and, you know, as, as I say, I tend to think Garcia, when he's defending... When he's not attacking, his defence is pretty good. But here, as he was pressing, there were a few moments where he'd press into range, but still felt like it was like he felt the need to be further back than his feet. Like he knew he had to be in range, but he felt uncomfortable being that close. And he'd lean back in a really odd sort of way, get really over his back foot. And also kind of twist and leave him, leave himself open, leave his, uh, I was going to say his left side, but I just kind of went back, just back to look at a little bit of footage now. And it kind of, you kind of twist sometimes one way, sometimes the other. But he'll bring, you know, like, it's almost like his shoulder rolling when he doesn't need to. And he's bringing his hand out and he's leaving one of his, basically one of his sides open. And especially when it's his left side, if he's taking that into the right Garcia fight, like, Garcia is way longer than Garcia. I mean, he's not that much longer, but um, it's exactly what Garcia wants to be, what Ryan Garcia would want him to be doing, to be edging him in, into range and then sort of hesitating and being off balance. If he does that against Ryan Garcia, he's going to get drilled. He's going to get fucking smacked, basically. And, you know, might not be enough to take him out. He might use that as a counter opportunity. But it's a dangerous thing to do against someone like Ryan Garcia, who is who'll very much be trying to bait that kind of thing. And I mean, it'll be different matchup a little bit because, um, I mean, it's a different matchup in every way. Hector Lewis Garcia isn't similar to Ryan Garcia, in it, you know, at all. But in the sense, I mean, is that uh, Ryan Garcia is an orthodox fighter and Hector Lewis Garcia is a southpaw versus southpaw, so it'll be an open stance matchup if they if um, if Tank fights Ryan Garcia. So that you know, the range will be different, all of that stuff, but. Uh, but it is an open concern, and it's especially a concern because, you know, I talk about Garcia being, Ryan Garcia being much bigger than Tank. He is. Um, Mario Barrios was, is about the same dimensions, and he's kind of a similar fighter. And he gave Tank, you know, he got knocked out in the end, but he gave Tank some trouble with the kind of things that Garcia is going to be doing, and sort of jabbing, jabbing, baiting him into range, and then following up with the overhand right, and or the straight right, and think, you know, things like that. And Tank needs to improve that level of his game because Gar- Garcia hits a lot harder than Barrios. Tank, I think, needs to improve that kind of thing to be, you know, sure of beating Ryan Garcia. And these things, that, that weird movement, that edging into range and then getting really over his back foot, is kind of like... I don't want to say the opposite of an improvement because he needs to learn to get into range properly. Like, he cannot be falling short against Ron Garcia. He needs to be launching his attacks from the close. So it's something he has to be learning, and it's good to see him learning. But he has to learn it better than that. Like, he has to be doing better than that because he can't be off balance and off his back foot in punching range with Ryan Garcia. It's just not not a good idea for him. And, you know, the, the, these things will go the other way as well. Now, when the fight comes around, I will be talking about... The things that Ryan Garcia does are a bad idea to do about Tank. You know, I don't want to sound like I'm picking Ryan Garcia for definite. But um, there are a lot of people who seem to think that uh, 
Tag will just crush him. There's a class difference in this fight. It's just not true. And if you saw that fight just now, uh, you know, this weekend, and thought that, uh, you know, that that was some kind of proof that Tank is going to walk all over Ryan Garcia, it's just, I'm sorry, it's just not, it's, it's, you know, it's not a similar enough fight to say it's directly relevant, but at the same time, yeah, there were things, like, there were things you can see that Ryan Garcia will be licking his lips at. It's basically what, what I wanted to say about that fight. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I am really hoping they get that together. There's, you know, there's still lots of chance with these two fighters. There's still lots of opportunity for bullshit to happen, but, but I'm really hoping it comes together. You know, I'm not hoping it's not the biggest fight of the year because I want, you know, bigger fights to happen. It's not a, it's, it's a really good fight. It's not like a, as elite, as, as elite as some of the hype is now making it sound, but it is a really fucking good fight and, uh, and I want to see it. Um, so yeah, hopefully they get it together. Um, yeah, that's all I've got really good to say about that. You know, not going in depth here. The other fight of the, the other fight of the night that, um, that I had eyes on and want to talk about is, uh, Jerome Ennis versus Karen Chikadjan. And I apologize if I've butchered his name, but, um, yeah, um, that, this was where, uh, Jerome Ennis is, um, some people were kind of disappointed. It's not his first full length fight. Um, it, I think it's his first 12 rounder that won the distance. Yep, it is. Uh, and some people, you know, people were disappointed with it. And, and I'd heard about the fight before I watched it. Um, and I saw, you know, pe- yeah, people weren't super impressed with, uh, with Ennis. And Shukadzian is, um, he lost once before, way early in his career. He'd been unbeaten for a while, but, uh, he hasn't really fought anyone of note since then. So he was kind of coming in as kind of unknown, um, Unproven, you know, not expected to really give Ennis any trouble, and you know, I think it's fair to say, in terms of winning again, like a like the main event, he, you know, Chikadian didn't look like you know ever threatening boots, um, but I, I had seen some comments coming in about, um, firstly, about uh, Ennis taking maybe too many shots, and secondly, about Ennis maybe. And he said this himself, being disappointed that he didn't finish the opponent, even with an opponent that was very negative, uh, which Chikazian, to be fair, was pretty negative. But, um, yeah. So I'll address the first point. Did Chikazian, did Chikazian land more shots on Ennis than Ennis really needed to let him? Not really. <laughs> you know, yeah, he landed shots, but, uh, Ennis isn't a defensive fighter. He's an, he's an aggressive fighter. He comes forward. He likes to get at his opponent. Um, Nothing that landed in him was in any danger of like hurting him. Like he was not bars, he was not hurt, he didn't barely notice anything that was landing on him. He wasn't out of shape when he was taking them out of position, he was not balanced when he was taking these shots. There were shots that he wasn't letting Shikatin him deliberately. Like that's a you know, that's one of those things that he wasn't letting him on purpose. But um it was all kind of part you know, it was all part of this thing. Like he's attacking, he's gonna take some shots, he knew that that was gonna happen. There wasn't anything that I'd be concerned by. Like, that side of things, you know, I think, uh, I compared Jerome Ennis to, um, Sim Fulton a lot. And Fulton's fought at a much higher level. But, um, but this kind of thing is where I think Ennis is really strong. Fulton, when he's changing from attack to defense or defense to attack, uh, still even much better now. He kind of gets himself a little bit of balance, a little bit straight legged or just over one, 
you know, overbalancing one way or the other and feels a little bit vulnerable. And this doesn't. So even when he's getting hit, you'd have to really fucking hit him clean to, you know, even get his notice. Um, so in that sense, you know, yeah, um, you, know, you could you could ask for a more perfect defensive performance even when attacking, but I'm not concerned by that. Um, could he have finished Jakadzian? Yeah, I think probably that is where my concern would lie in this fight. And the reason for that is not that I think, you know, it's just I think it lies in some bad decisions in the moment. That's some bad tactical choices. Um, just in this, in second by second, uh, there are two main problems. Two main problems that I had. The first one was quite simple. Um, in the past, I've seen Jerome Ellis against negative fighters, against fighters who are on the back foot, roll at them with a really heavy jab-heavy approach, and with a heavy jab. You know, <laughs> that's a good one. Just really coming at them, jabbing them hard right into the ropes, and then following up with body shots and getting into the pocket and fighting them there, keeping them there. And he wasn't doing that here. He wasn't jabbing as much as I thought he should. He was kind of like getting caught up in the flash, you know, going for the big shot, getting, getting the flash shot that would knock his opponent, hurt his opponent. And uh, and it was letting Chikazin get the distance he needed to get out, yeah, you know, to get out of the way, basically. And that was, you know, the other problem, uh, my other concern was this link to this is just how easy Chikazin found it to get around Ennis's lead hand and this went both directions um, you know Ennis is a um, very much a switch hitter he can, um, I think he's ortho- I think he's orthodox normally I'm going to check in now I'm probably wrong about that <laughs> it would be an embarrassing mistake to make but uh, yeah he's orthodox normally but um, but he fights southpaw just as well and in this fight he's been a quite a lot of time southpaw um, which was a mis- possibly a mistake I'm going to get to that in a second but either either stance that he was in um, Chikadze Chikadzian sorry um, he's not Giga Chikadze he's Karin Chikadzian um, he found it too, far too easy to just get around the lead hand he was always sucking around the lead hand not towards the power hand um, not, I mean not you know, most of the time that was always his aim and he did quite well to keep switched on and switch his direction when uh, Ennis switched uh, switched stances it was clearly something Chikatin had worked on and this is the thing like you do have to bear in mind Chikatin had come in with a game plan that was very much built on survive Jerome Ennis he wasn't really trying to win he was sort of trying to survive Jerome Ennis and he did but um, but, but again uh, this leads back to what I was saying before he found it really easy to get around the lead hand, and that was partly because Ennis was just constantly throwing hard lead hand hooks to try to stop the movement around. And if one of those had really connected, it might, you know, he did catch him a few times and kind of, he obviously felt it. But um, but he wasn't trying to quarrel him with them. He was just trying to intercept him. He was just trying to knock him out as he moved. There wasn't any time where he was really trying to herd him back into position with his hooks which is what you should be doing when a fighter's doing that trying to get around the corner you know herd him one way then the other then hit him with that shot that intercepting hook like get him confused about what his movement should, is supposed to be and then hit him with the you know once he doesn't know where he's trying to go and tries to make makes a move that's ill-advised enough balance and then you get him then you hit him and he wasn't really doing that and and when it comes to the start switching this is what i would say is that um I think Chikatin 
was more confused, more hesitant about which direction he needed to move when, and this was orthodox, when he was southpaw, he just reliably stepped around the lead hand, just constantly, just constantly circled that direction around uh, Ennis's right hand. But when he was orthodox, he found it a bit more, for whatever reason, um, found it a bit more difficult to circle around Ennis's left. And sometimes he'd head towards the power hand. And Ennis didn't really use that confusion. I'm, I'm not sure he spotted it. He might have done it, but he didn't seem to. And he kept switching back to Southpaw and letting Chikatin off the hook. And that is another thing I think. Just, I feel like, you know, I could be bullshitting here. But for my eyes, Chikatin found it harder to circle around the right hand. And I'm not saying he should have been orthodox all the time because when you're a switch hitter like him and you know how to do it, yeah, sometimes it's good to switch it up. You know, just keep your opponent guessing, keep your opponent from having more, having a read. But, um, but I would put it this way, Terence Crawford in the same position would have noticed fucking immediately that Chikadzin was more uncomfortable when, when, when his opponent is orthodox. He'd have noticed straight away. And this is the kind of opponent we have to be talking about because this is the kind of opponent that Ennis wants to be in next with next year. He wants to fight Errol Spence. He's, you know, Crawford's another thing because he's a promotional thing, but he wants to fight him too. Um, so, you know, even though Chikadzin is nowhere near that level, like, you do kind of have to think how those guys would have handled it. And yeah, Terence Crawford, you know, fellow switch hitter, would have, he would have noticed straight away that Ch- where Chikadzin was less comfortable. And he absolutely damn certain wouldn't have let him step around the lead hand all the fucking time. He'd have, you know, I don't know, belted him in the ribs, made him curl over and then hit him with a hand upstairs. Just those little things, just choices that uh, Ennis was making. So basically, what I'm saying here is that Jerome Ennis, on a technical level, he's as good a prospect as there is in a game. Well, on a tactical level, he might still be. Look, I'm not sitting here going, "Oh no, he's never going to be. You know, he's never going to be elite." It might have just been a bad choice of opponent. He might just have had an off night. Possibly, he just got a bit. You know, he's getting frustrated not fighting the big fights and. Uh, Possibly, you know, not really knowing Chikadzin so well. He didn't prepare for him or uh, because I'm unfamiliar with Chikadzin, so I don't know how he fights. Possibly he wasn't prepared for a game plan that was so, so focused specifically on the things that Ennis was doing. So, you know, there are all sorts of reasons. You can make all sorts of excuses. Um, and some can be, you know, damn good excuses. There's not, you know, every rising fighter is going to have a fight where they're going to be like, mm, you know, I'm not sure about that. But the, these are things that he needs to work on. I think he needs to, you know, if when he hopefully he looks back at the tape or his coaches look back at the tape, and, and they'll be like focusing on these things. Like in this moment, that you know, that was the wrong choice. Basically, these, these little moment-to-moment choices. I'd, I mean, they're mistakes. I was going to say I wouldn't go, go so far as to call it a mistake. I wouldn't call them bad errors. They're not things that you know. They're not things that are going to lead him to losing fights. Like he never came close to losing here. Um, not things that are really going to even necessarily come up in fights where he's in danger of losing. It's going to be a whole different dynamic. But but they are kind of clues to... He's going to be, have to be fucking sharp to beat Errol Spence. Like, um, you know, even, you know I, I think in many ways uh, I would be ready to say that on a technical level, Boots is more technically complete than Spence. Um, whether he's like really got the sharp you know, fine-tuning, that remains to be seen, but he's more complete, he has more stuff. But Ennis, uh, Spence makes the right decisions in the right moments. Like he makes, 
you know, even though even though Spence is more straight lined than Ennis for my money, like he still moves in and out pretty straight. He improved that in his last fight, um, and you know he's it is it would be an exaggeration to call him a genuinely straight lined fighter. I'm talking about the sort of the elite level, but he, you know he's more he's less lateral than a lot of the top fighters. I would say Spence, but he wouldn't have let a fighter like uh, like um, Chikadzian get around him that easily either he would have been crossing him to the ropes you know he'd, he'd probably his approach would have been different but he would have been battering him to the ropes and keeping him there you know as much as he can and so you know if Ennis is going to put himself in that company and he wants to be soon he has you know he does have to kind of and it, it, might, you know, it might be a useful exercise for him himself to think how would Spence Crawford have done this because there's nothing wrong with learning from your opponents from your rivals there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that um yeah, in any case, it was a useful exercise for Ennis. Like it was a kind of a disappointing performance, yeah. But it's a you know, it's one of those where you look at it and you think, yeah, he's there's things to learn from there. And I would say this is that I would I I do think Ennis is the kind of fighter, from what you've seen so far, it's the kind of fighter with the kind of camp where he probably will learn from it. Like there were some fighters, if I saw a performance like that, I'd be like, you know, that's that's an issue that I'm not sure he's ever gonna get over. Um, you know, if, if we see something like this again, then I was going to be like, um, yeah, okay, um, I'm, I'm worried now. But as it is now, I, you know, I have reasonable confidence in Ennis seeing, you know, taking this back to the gym and working on, working on the right things. Like, I'm still a fan of Jerome Ennis. Um, so, so don't, you know, don't get me wrong there. But I do understand why people were a bit down on this performance. I do think people suddenly switching from, you know, he's the elite prospect, blah, 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 to he's going to burn out is a bit, extreme but to be fair I haven't seen that much of that you know there's always someone but I haven't seen too much of that um, but yeah the rest of the card um, I didn't see so I'm not going to talk about it in, like in any length of detail but there was a um, sad um, well there was one thing uh, Rashidi Ellis lost to Romain Villa here um, which I gather was a bit of an upset um, so just worth mentioning uh, Demetrius Andrade, Andrade um, beat Demond Nicholson completely. Well, like, fuck off, fight someone you know, useful, um, not useful. I don't want to be a titan. Uh, fight someone relevant in the division that you're in. Like, what the fuck are you doing, Andrade? Uh, no, the um, the fight that I want to just mention really is um, Lamont Peterson fight, uh, lost to Michael Ogundo, and Ogundo is a sixteen sixteen, um, you know, forty himself. He hadn't won since uh, 2021, which was a, a four-rounder against um, a guy with no wins and 18 losses. He hasn't won a relevant fight since, well, ever really. Like He's a complete journeyman, and I'm talking British-style German. He's not British, he's African, he's from Kenya. But um, hopefully when I say British-style gentleman, you know what I mean? You know, 16, 16 losses, 16 wins, that kind of journeyman. Lamont Peterson, former world-level fighter, you know, beating a few good guys. He's been on the downside, but um, but yeah, in 2018 he lost to Errol Spence. In 2019 he was lost to Sergio Lipinets. He hasn't fought since then. This was sort of his comeback. You know, dipping his toe back in. He's 38, so he's never going to be like aiming for the top again. I wouldn't have thought, but it's sort of dipping his toe back in the pool and seeing, you know, where he's at. And apparently, where he's at is a. Uh, he should retire because someone like Lamont Peterson should not be losing to a guy who's 16-16. He just shouldn't, uh, you know, not 
that kind of thing sometimes happens to prospect very rarely happens to prospect when they're breaking through and you kind of go oh shit yeah, whoops and usually you don't see that prospect much again but sometimes they learn from it and you know come back um, you know they, the, the kind of guys who lose to that kind of prospect don't come to world level go to world level but you might see them at British level you know somewhere around the European national level they'll pop up on the cards Lamont Peterson is way past that stage and if he's losing to this guy he needs to retire you know I think he should finish <laughs> it's just a you know I can't say that I've been in, I'm super invested in the Mott Peterson as a fighter but it is that kind of you know that kind of fall off it is a big fall off um, so yeah that's just yeah there's a thing to mention I suppose um, and that's it from that card not a you know not a whole lot to talk about this is like I say not been at all long a podcast I'm just coming up in half an hour uh, schedule for next week. There's nothing huge coming up this week. I'm not going to be doing a preview because um, you know, the main event is KSI as guy. He was meant to be fighting Dylan Dennis. No, was he? Yeah, I think so. Um, but yeah, there is uh, FA Jagba is facing um, Stephen Shaw. Um, I'm not super familiar with Shaw, so I can't you know give you a preview preview. But uh, yeah, I mean a Jagba is a rising uh, heavyweight who's. You know, he's not the fighter the hype wanted to, you know, that he's an, I don't know who it was on, but the network, you know, hyping him. Yeah, he lost to Frank Sanchez. Frank Sanchez is pretty good. Um, he's kind of on the comeback show now. He's fighting Stefan Shaw, who's also unbeaten. Um, you know, not young, but uh, I guess on the rise. Yeah, that's kind of the main, real main event of the weekend in terms of being a fight that anyone cares about, but um, uh, anyone who, you know, any relevance to boxing. But that's all there really is. Um, so I don't think I'll be doing a preview, like I say. Um, but uh, yeah, the real fights really starts um, the week after. So if that fight is good, I will um, I will do a podcast next week. If not, then you know I won't. Um, but then I will be doing a preview of the weekend's boxing. I'll be doing um, of which the week after, the weekend after. I'll be doing writing on that. And like I say, hopefully you'll see the year review belatedly this weekend but again <sighs> I'm not going to go into it but uh, there's a you know, lot going on um, any case yeah I went on a ramble at the end there thanks for listening I will see you next time sign up to my sign up to my Twitter follow me on Twitter um, at Crafty Boxing follow the fight site at the fight site join our Patreon we're starting more, more, you know, we're getting more stuff rolling. Uh, we have, we're having our Patreon Q&A podcast has got rolling. If you check our feeds, uh, you'll see, you know, you see that. Um, but you have to join the Patreon to listen to the fucking thing. And um, yeah, uh, that's it. That's all I've really got to say. See you next time. Thanks for listening.